Hi, I'm Father David Dufresne, parochial vicar of St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Church in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the St. Charles Church Talks podcast. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. When the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, with your permission, I'd like to reflect on your holy name. I see we have separated ourselves, presumably sheep and goats, sheep on the right. Thank you for your patience as we clean the pews this week. So January, you might know, is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. And it's because of the passage that I just read. On the eighth day after his birth, as pious Jews did and still do to this day, they present their child to God, in this case in the temple, today in the synagogue, for circumcision. And this is when, traditionally, their name is revealed. And so we know a little backstory of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, when uh, Zachariah is supposed to tell his name, right, and he's mute. And so it's in that context, the reveal of the child's name to all the family and friends who are gathering for the celebration. And so on the eighth day, which would be January 1st, and so the church has all of January as a reminder of the holy name of Jesus when this name is first revealed to us. And I'd like to unpack this by talking about the power of the holy name of Jesus and the reverence that we should have for the holy name of Jesus. When um, communicating with, with Vin Lee today about the title, you know, Jesus is not a four-letter word. Obviously, I know it's five. But that came to my mind because the first time I really heard the holy name of Jesus growing up, it was always in the context of a curse. Whether somebody stubbed their toe or just, you know, on popular culture, television, or movies, I, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about him. I thought it was synonymous with a four-letter word because that was the only context I ever heard about Jesus growing up. And presumably, if somebody today grows up uh, in a household that's not religious or practicing. That, that's the only time people normally will hear or say the holy name of Jesus. This obviously is not from God. There, there is something quite diabolical about that, this great switch 
of the reverence that we should have, the great love with which we should speak our blessed Lord's name, and then how it's often used as a curse today. Shakespeare famously asked in Romeo and Juliet, would a rose by any other name smell as sweet? And then I thought of that line in, in regards to the holy name of Jesus, right? What a name, Jesus, Savior. And then, as my mind is, the very next thing I thought of was the Simpsons, shamefully. <laughs> because Homer was posed a very similar question by Lisa, right? When, when talking about when, um, the power of a name and Homer's response was, well, not if you called them stench blossoms. And then Marge said, well, I sure wouldn't like to get a dozen stench blossoms on Valentine's Day. So I'm going to geek out for a minute, just a little bit, uh, about something called nominalism, right? Which uh, is very prevalent today. And often, at least in, in seminary, I don't know about in your circles, but often um, we would kind of shake our fists at um, Descartes. I don't know if that's a normal thing to do, but we would blame Descartes for a lot of stuff. And Descartes, as you might know, is the guy who, who was made famous for his line, you know, I think, therefore I am. Actually, I think Descartes is often misunderstood. Well, that's um, a, kind of a bad phrase and has tremendously bad consequences to it, I think, therefore I am. Uh, what he was trying to do as this good Catholic is talk to and engage skeptics of his time. Again, this is hundreds of years ago. But skeptics who are like, I don't believe anything. Prove it to me. You can't prove anything. Which is like radical skepticism. And so where, where do you start other than like hitting them on the head with a two-by-four and say, well, you're going to have a headache tomorrow. And I proved it to you. So Descartes took a less violent approach and said, well, I can prove that I exist because I think, and I am aware that I think, therefore I exist, that's the starting point for talking about anything else. At least we know that's true. Okay. The problem is, in, in the, shift, the fist shaking, is that it separates um, us body and soul. We become kind of um, entrapped in our bodies, that our mind is one thing and our body is another thing, hence all the, the problems of people having difficulties with their body and, and reality in general. Right? We can fly to the spirit or we can fly to the flesh, um, but the two are not one the way God intended. And we can trace kind of this back to Descartes. Okay, going back a couple hundred years even before Descartes, another guy who was presumably kind of pious um, but created a good bit of trouble, William of Ockham. You're probably familiar with his famous razor brand. But he's even more famous for two other reasons. He's kind of the, the, the father of the thought of nominalism and fideism in a certain sense. So two fancy terms, because I want you to think I'm intelligent. Um, nominalism is meaning nature's stuff, reality, doesn't like really exist. There's no such thing as human nature. Those are, those are just names we put on things. There's no such thing as a dog nature. We just say, well, that kind of looks like that other one. They're, and we, we invent the word dog and then invent the, the idea of dog. 
or human nature or boys or girls. They're just names. These natures don't exist. There's no such thing as treeness. Like, show me treeness, William of Ockham would say. There's just these particular things that grow and, and, and we put labels on them. But again, this is like in the 1300s, early 1300s. We can see kind of the effects of these thoughts certainly a lot today. So nominalism. There's no such thing as natures. We just put labels on things. Then fideism. Because when we separate reality, when we separate nature uh, from reality, when we separate what things are and how they operate, um, well, all we're left with is this rift between like faith and reason. He says, our reason really can't do anything. Our, 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 re- like our, our brains just do its own thing, but like if we want to know something for sure, we go to the Bible. But not bad, like I'm not discrediting the Bible, but what's, what's very dangerous is separating faith and reason, separating like nature and scripture, separating um, the God of nature from the God of revelation. It's separating these different forms of truth and to say there should be a wall of separation which they no longer commingle. And certainly we see the effects of that today. Of, of fideism or this, this apparent war, excuse me, war on religion and science. You know, science answers the questions what and how, and religion answers the question of who and why. Pithy little phrase I just picked up from Father Mike Schmitz on the Catechism in a Year uh, podcast. There's a plug for you. If you're not listening to it, it's pretty good. So those, those are two very distinct questions. But we can ask them about the same realities. What and how, and who and why. Right? So there's no need for them to be um, separate, to have a wall of separation. There should be this intermingling. All four of those questions should be asked and answered. Okay, we're still talking about the holy name of Jesus. So this idea of a name being more than simply a title. Right? To, to, be, to say, call ourselves human beings is simply more uh, than a label that somebody assigned us. There's some substance there. There's consequence to that. There's a whole reality that is independent of my feelings or my thoughts. So the holy name of Jesus, this idea too of name in Hebrew in the time of our Lord, how they would have understood it is very different even than of of what William and Ockham would say of just kind of like labels. We need language in order to get along, so we invent language, but it's completely arbitrary and there's really no substance. That's what kind of William of Ockham would say, where the Jew during our Lord's time have a very, very different understanding of it. Certainly our, our language is imperfect, right? to call God Father, that's true, but that, that's imperfect in the sense of our human limitation of understanding what that means. So to, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush and he says, what's your name? And I'm sure you recall the answer, 
it, it's, it's pretty cheeky, right? I am who am. That's one heck of a name, right? The holy name of God. He, he's doing something extraordinarily profound in that revelation. Right? In a sense, he's saying, my existence is one with my essence. Right? My existence is one with my essence. I am who am. This is part of God's self-revelation. Right? And so I didn't used to exist in a certain point in history. Right? So my, my essence of who I am as a human being um, is not tied up with my existence. Because there was a certain point in which I did not exist. There will be a certain point, at least on this earth, where I cease to exist. So who, who I am and my existence are not the same thing. But with God, they are. And so the pious Jews recognize, like, what, what a holy thing that is when God reveals himself. And they go back centuries later and begin to write sacred scripture. They write down these stories that were passed down from Moses, passed down from Joshua, right, passed down from David, and they commit this to paper. They're afraid even to write this down when, when God says, you know, I am who am. And when this is passed down in oral tradition, they're afraid to write it down, so often what they'll write is, is Lord, Adonai in Hebrew, or Hashem, the name, in reference to God. Right? The, the name that cannot be spoken in pious Jewish tradition, except by the high priest once a year. Right? He goes into the Holy of Holies and pronounces the holy name of God. And also within Jewish thought, within the context of our blessed Lord, um, the name signifies the entirety of the person, right? So when Moses asks for God's name, he reveals himself. Not, not like a label, he reveals part of himself. And so when we're invoking the holy name of Jesus, it's not, not just calling on you know, a person. We're calling on a presence. We're asking for our Lord to be there to be relational. This is one of the reasons why Moses asked. When I go back to my friends, who do I say I've just been talking with? Right? So to know someone's name implies a relationship, a conversation. And in, to invoke the name, we can also use, use that term synonymous with power. Right? The power of Jesus the holy power of Jesus. So similarly, in the new dispensation, when God reveals himself in the person of his beloved son and gives him this name, this power, right? Jesus, as we know, means savior from Joshua, right? Um, and savior is, is even much more profound than, than I often first think in, in you're probably similar, right? Savior, okay, he saved me from sin. He saved me from hell. Um, but it's even more robust and, and powerful than that. Right? Salvatore in, in Italian and in Latin, right? That, like, when we think of a salve, 
But if you're wounded, you apply this salve to the wound to restore it. Right? So it's much, it's much more than, okay, obliterates our sin, opens the gates of paradise, but restores everything that was broken and lost. And this is who he is. That's what his name signifies. And so when we call on his holy name, we're calling on this power of his identity, of who he is, to heal us. And so St. Paul recognizes that at the holy name of Jesus, every knee should bend, meaning should, should prostrate. We're kind of unique um, between East and West. The West, we have a strong tradition of like genuflecting, of, of like prostrating, um, of kneeling at Mass. And in the East, uh, they, they prefer to stand because they're anticipating the resurrection, right? So they're, they're anticipating uh, the resurrection at Mass. So they stand for almost the entirety of like the two, three hour long divine liturgy. Where we in the West, we have the tradition of kneeling. And one isn't like better than the other, they're, they're just different. Um, but the tradition of kneeling is to recognize we, we get really small in front of the divine grandeur. Right? So to genuflect, it's, it's a reminder of that when we're in the Lord's presence, right, he's the strong one, we're the weak one. So we, we genuflect because it's pretty easy to topple somebody over who's kneeling right, if you're standing right in front of them. Right? So it's, it's a sign of weakness. So it's a good reminder that at the name of Jesus, we're recognizing he has the power, we do not. He is the Savior, we are not. And there were some kind of scrupulous people the, around the turn of the last millennia uh, who were saying, well, St. Paul says it, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So every time we hear the holy name of Jesus, we should bow. I mean, how hard is, like, where, where's, where's the, the mistranslation? Like, it's black and white right there. And, and so there was this custom at Mass, you know, in the readings, in the prayers, there was a lot of genuflecting going on. And it was kind of like distracting, and it wasn't always, you know, in unison. And so people took this uh, to the Pope. It was Gregory X, I wrote it down, in 1274, so right before one of the major uh, councils of the church. But the Pope said, okay, at Mass anyway, just bow your head at the holy name of Jesus. Uh, and St. Cyprian, many centuries before that, about a thousand years before that, in the 200s, um, he said, at the holy name of Jesus, we should bow our head to remind ourselves that we should be willing to be martyred for our faith. So expose the neck. Like, take, take the, the sword right here, fellas. Right? I'm, I'm willing to die for Jesus. So every time we hear or say the holy name of Jesus, it's a good custom to bow our head, right, and have that reminder. Certainly worth living for, he's also worth dying for. And that in 1721, uh, this feast day was instituted for the universal church of the holy name of Jesus. It was also customarily celebrated on January 1st, and for whatever reasons, uh, which we won't get into now, and it was suppressed during Vatican II 
but John Paul II was such a big fan of the holy name of Jesus, he reinstituted it uh, for January 3rd. So kind of the compromise of keeping January 1st for the Theotokos, the mother of God, and January 3rd for the holy name of Jesus. Two last things. So if you're out in the world or even just consuming media, I'm sure you will hear our Lord's name taken inappropriately or blasphemously right, or as a curse. So depending on context, right, correct them. Say, would you, would you mind not taking my Lord's name in vain? Or would you mind not blaspheming in my presence? For all the things that people are grieved by, whether they're real or fictitious, right, this should be something that grieves us. When I grew up in, in the 80s, um, your mama jokes were a big thing. And um, like, I love my mom. And I was offended by those jokes. I could take a joke, um, but like when the first couple times I heard it, I'm like, why, why are you saying such things about my mother? And I got in a couple schoolyard fights, you know, whatever, second grade. Um, you know, those were very popular jokes. And, and yeah, like if, if I can understand, like that, that, there's just some things you don't mess with. You know, people's moms, our blessed Lord. And so have, have a little courage to correct people. And sometimes it's, it's, not, um, it's not possible right, to do that, regardless, I mean, whatever the setting is. Um, you know, maybe it's some like big corporate meeting and like we don't have the mic or, you know, like, you know, to interrupt on a Zoom call or something like that. Um, but we can certainly do something right, to, to say a prayer in reparation. Right? Lord, may your name be reverenced by everyone. Lord, let, help me do reparation for these sins uh, on their behalf. Like, let me do penance uh, for these people who, who don't know how good you are. And then lastly, certainly if, if, if it kind of creeps in, I, I know anytime um, I travel um, like to another area or region, you know, I have some friends in like New York City, and if I go and stay with them for a couple days, or even if they just come here, if, if I'm surrounded by another dialect or accent, I'll pick it up eventually. Right? Not, not consciously, and it's not like I'm, I'm trying to fit in or, or be cool consciously, but like I, I, there's just something about us um, that is kind of like a chameleon. We, we just kind of want to blend in. It's not a conscious thought of like, oh, I'm going to go see my friend John, I'm going to start talking like him. Um, it, it just kind of rubs off. That can also happen with vocabulary. That can, that can happen just depending on the people that we spend a lot of time with. So to be very cognizant, right? Scripture says, out of the fullness of our hearts we speak. Right? So what are we like pouring into the hearts? Right? Are we listening and watching uh, and conversing and reading um, things that edify us? Things that like bubble up to wonderful thoughts? Are we angry? Right? Or do we, do we mimic what we hear so often, even if it's taking the Lord's name in vain or blasphemously? So just another occasion to take stock of what we're consuming uh, and, and really try to strive to make it better and better so that what will come out of us uh, will be better and better. This month of January, may we resolve 
uh, to have a greater reverence every day for the holy name of Jesus. That we would remind ourselves that he is our savior, he is our Lord, he is our best friend. And that we should always have tenderness and love in our hearts, minds, and lips whenever his holy name is pronounced. Praised be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Thanks for joining us today. And please remember to subscribe. And if you enjoyed our show, give us a rating on the Apple Podcasts. Peace.